Good morning, everyone, and welcome to day number eight of our Elul series. We started discussing Rosh Hashanah yesterday, and we spoke about the Kabbalah of Rosh Hashanah, and to summarize it in two sentences was that we said that Rosh Hashanah is all about the elevation of the Malchus. Now, the elevation of the Malchus, we said the Malchus goes up. We said Malchus is feminine, femininity. Malchus goes up all the way to its source. And where's the source? The, uh, the essential hiddenness of the infinite light of God, bless be he. And our task, Rosh Hashanah, is to draw it back down. That's what, that's what we learned yesterday. We continue talking yesterday about the idea that the Malchus is... So, we continue talking about it yesterday, that the Malchus, that, that the Malchus is the tenth of the, of the, of the Spiros, that there's the ten Spiros, the first three are the intellectual ones, then comes the six emotional ones, and then comes the tenth spirad that is all about communication. We said since we were created in the image of God, therefore, if we want to understand it well, we can understand it from looking at our bodies, looking at our psyche, and we can understand godliness from understanding our psyche. What is the difference between our communication skills and our other faculties? The first nine faculties is what creates our anatomy. The tenth faculty is how we relate out of us, how we relate outside of us towards the world. And that is the meaning of Malchus. Malchus is God's speech, God's expression. Why is it called feminine? Because it's a recipient of the intellect and emotion. It doesn't have anything of its own. Just uh, think about it in a, in a very crass, very, uh, very physical example of a copy machine. You have a copy machine and the copy machine just makes copies. Imagine you put in a thesis into the copy machine and the copy machine edits it. I don't think you would ever, I, don't, I want to say, I don't know if you would ever want to use such a copy machine, but, uh, but after thinking about it again, I think maybe you want to use only such a copy machine that edits your, what you write, but you have a free editor. But that's not the job of a copy machine. The job of a copy machine is to accept what it's given on the, on the, on the feeder or on the glass, and then it gives it out. So we said thought, speech, and action are all external. They're not me. They're not a part of my anatomy. They're all external. And the biggest proof of that is that thought and speech are in a language. A lot of people wonder what's the difference between intellect and thought. And, it, and it's a very good question for the, in the beginning when a person starts learning Hasidism. And the answer is very simple. You could write two plus two is five. You could say two plus two is five. You could even think two plus two is five. You can never understand two plus two is five. Because understanding is who you are. 
thought is in the language. So basically, if I have love in my heart and I want to express it to my son, I want to tell him how much I love him, there's a major problem. My emotions are part of me. My son is separate of me. So if there would be some type of USB cord that I could stick into his brain and, my, and stick in my brain, and he will be me for five seconds and feel what I feel, that would be amazing. But since there's no concept like that, and he's a separate being, I take my emotions and I want to package it into something. I want to ship it off. How am I going to ship it off? I'm going to ship it off by going to the shop, going to go to the store that contains the packages. What is the store that contains the packages? It's called a dictionary, and the packages are words. And I'm going to look for the word that, I'm going to look for the word that expresses the way I feel. The closest to the way I feel, the words can't really express my feeling. But I'm going to take those words and I'm going to pack, I'm going to take that feeling and I'm going to package it in those words. Again, I would never be able to really express the way I feel because it's my feeling. But I'm going to try to use an external vessel. I'm going to try to uh, use uh, uh, something that will cover my emotions, just like my clothing covers my body. Yeah. And I'm going to then articulate, enunciate those words, and hopefully my son will hear those words and he'll start thinking, when is the last time he used those words? And he'll try to associate to those words the feeling that comes along with that word by him. Why is it called feminine, asks Avi Elbaz. And the answer is because it's a recipient. It has nothing of its own, just like the moon. The moon is a recipient of light, even though the moon also shines. But it's actually very interesting that in some cultures, moon is connected to beauty. Sun is connected to strength, which is typical, the difference between masculine and feminine. Masculine is about strength. How would someone make like a picture of the masculine? Someone like a six pack, yeah, with big muscles and could like, fight everything in the world. That's masculinity. Femininity is about fragility, beauty. Yeah, I don't know if in other cultures, but in Yiddish, for example, when one says something, someone is beautiful, it says beautiful like the moon. The moon doesn't show strength. The moon is a recipient. The moon shows on cyclicality. And basically what Malchus is, it's a recipient of my intellect and emotions. And then it's the conduit through which expression happens. So yesterday when we discussed what it says in, in Kabbalah that our body is structured like a tense throat and suddenly we jump up all the way to the mouth and we said that there's two ways of going lower. There's one way of going lower, going from top to the bottom, but then there's a lower of being more outwards. So expression, expression is feminine. Why is it feminine? Because expression doesn't have anything of its own. It's a recipient of what you give him to express. Just like a copier, it copies what you give him to copy. And 
since expression, that is the distinction between the first nine Sephirot and the tenth Sephirot. Where the first nine Sephirot is who is my anatomy, who I am, and the tenth Sephirot is my expression outwards. That's why God created the world with Malchut. As we say every day in Davening, Malchut Cha, Malchut Kololamim. We say it every time when we say Ashrei. Your Malchus is the energy of the whole world. Your Malchus is the, is the life of all the worlds. Yachid, you're the only one. You vitalize the world. Melech, with the idea of kingdom. How do we, we know that God created the world with Malchus? Because if Malchus is speech, expression, how did God create the world with the ten utterances? God created the world with the ten utterances, may there be light, may there be grass, may there be man. Now let's test our, our uh, Hasidic knack. Why did God create the world with Malchus? What would happen if God would have created the world with any of the other Sephirot, not Malchus? Could someone tell me the answer? What would, how would the world be different? Why is it so important? Why is it crucial? that God creates the world with Malchut. I'm waiting for an answer. This wasn't a rhetoric question. Why did God have to... Because then we're able to all have self-expression. Exactly. The word expression is, 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 uh, is already... Even without the word expression, in order for us to feel ourselves, had the world been created for, by any of the other Sephirot, the world would have been an extension of God. Since Rabbi, God wanted... Isn't it that it says that at the okay, beginning... Let me, just, mean, let me just finish yeah. the sentence. If the world would have crea be created with any of the first nine Sephirot, the world would have been an extension of God. The whole idea of a world is that there's something separate of God. God wanted to reveal his unity in something separate. Like the famous expression says, there's no king without a nation. What does it mean a nation? Nation means something separate. A father versus his son. A father can never be a king to his son. You need a nation. A nation means something outside of me, something separate of me. And therefore, if God wouldn't have created the world with Malchus, the world wouldn't have been a separate being. And, and just like we said, expression is always a separate being. Why is expression a separate being? Because expression is done in a language. It's done with an action. It's just like clothing that in order to cover yourself, you need to, you can't cover yourself with yourself. You could cover yourself with Clothing that you get in the shop. So in thought and speech, it's going to be letters of a language, and in action, it's going to be with the physical action. Yes, Lazarus, what's your question? Isn't it that at the beginning, God created the world with Gvura, and then He saw that He it's not, it cannot be like this, and He said that He created with Chesed. Right. Let me tell you something very, very important. Um, by the way, what you're asking is very, very, uh, it's a very good question. 
and 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 I don't want to go into this whole discourses in Chassidus that discuss the concept of what does it mean that God created the world in the beginning He created the world with the with the Gvura and then He uh, He transferred to Chesed. But I want to. But it doesn't matter. Like you could you could even ask a simpler question: There's the ten utterances, and the ten utterances are also corresponding to the ten Sefirot. Yeah. No, I mean in relation to what I, I, you said. That what is the answer to that? I, so I want to give the answer to that. Everything that it says that God created with this sefirah, that sefirah, water comes from chesed, uh, fire comes from gvura, they're all through malchus. Because they're ten utterances. So if you're saying God created the world with chesed, it's chesed of malchus. It's the expression of chesed. The expression of chesed is called chesed of the malchus. So it always has to go through Malchus. Otherwise, otherwise, the world would have been an extension of God and we wouldn't have any existence. Or like Jeremy said, we wouldn't have a cell. Please remind me if I already spoke about this. If I did, just show me with your hands. We spoke about the idea that God just wanted romance. Right? We, we spoke about it, right? The idea of romance is to become one with someone that is separate of you. No one gets married with their sister or with their mothers. Why don't we get married with our sister or mothers? Because we're one already. So that's the idea of the malchot. The expression of God, the way God created the world was through the idea of expression in order to give the world itself its feeling of self and independence. Now we're saying something very interesting. The Malchus that created the world and not created the world. We're said even more. We quote it from the Siddur. We say every day in Davening, Malchuscha, Malchuscha, your kingdom is the kingdom of all worlds. The energy of the world is God's malchus. Why? Because we know that God didn't say the world into being only back then 5,780 years ago. We know that God creates the world every split second. God, in his loving kindness, creates the world every second. The energy of the world goes back on Rosh Hashanah. The energy of the world goes back to its source on the eve of Rosh Hashanah. And this is actually hinted in Deuteronomy, where God says the following words that sound a tiny bit enigmatic. What does God say? For always God's eyes are upon the land from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Asks Chassidus, something doesn't make sense over here, if it's constantly... I'm sorry, I didn't quote the word the verse correctly, so it doesn't sound normal. The verse says like this: For always God's eyes are upon the land from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. So if it's constantly or for always, so what does it mean from the beginning of the year to the end of the year? Is it constant or is it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year? Or maybe for from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, so the next year. 
starts again. So it's constant. So why do you have to say the word constant? And if it's constant, what does it mean from the beginning of the year to the end of the year? It's like back and forth. It doesn't make any sense. Comes Hasidus and says, based on Kabbalah, that God says, my eyes are upon the land from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. I give the world packets of energy that only last for one year. Every year towards the end of the year, as the sun sets on the day before Rosh Hashanah, the eve of Rosh Hashanah, the packet of energy of the previous year is gone. Nowadays, we all know what it means to have a subscription. Yeah, you have a subscription to Spotify for a year. The day the year is over, boom, over. The world has a packet of energy that holds for one year, just like a battery. So is there a sense of vacuum between the two subscriptions? That's exactly the idea. That sense of vacuum is what we call Aliyat Malchud, the Malchud's going up. I, I like the words. That. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you for sharing great, eloquent words. A sense of vacuum, the Malchus goes back up. There is no life over here in this world from the old subscription. But now on the day of Rosh Hashanah, we renew the subscription. Our task is to bring back down that energy to the world. That's what we do on Rosh Hashanah. So that energy, God's femininity, the Malchus, goes back all the way to its source. And our task is to bring it back down. Yes, Lazarus, I'm sorry. You started saying something. Please share. No, I, I didn't understand the concept that Jeremy shared. Like, what, what is the vacuum of the two? But you explained. Great, great. Please keep on asking. I like your questions. So, so basically what happens Basically, what happens on Erev Rosh Hashanah, the world, the world, so to say, the, the energy of the world ends, and it goes up. Now, why do I need to know where it goes up to? Because I need to know where to drag it down from. In other words, like this, imagine having a teacher that says, I don't, want, I don't know if I want to continue teaching. That's it. My contract is up. And I was a teacher, but I don't know. You guys are not so into my classes. I don't know if I should want to continue teaching. Um, uh, that's it. I don't know if I want to renew my contract for the next year. Comes. So all the students make a, make a delegation. And they want to convince the teacher to come back and teach. Now, what is the first question that you think they will have in the meeting of that delegation? How do we, we convince our rabbi, our teacher, to come back? What is the first question do you think that you think uh, will be at that delegation? When they're sitting together, what are they going to discuss? The first thing that they're going to discuss. Why, he, why he's better coming back to teach than going off somewhere else. Right, okay, but that's what they're going to tell him. But what is the question that they're going to ask themselves? Very, very close to what you're saying. Guys, 
What is the question but, that they're going to ask themselves? Why did he leave? Why do I need to know why he left? In order for me to know how to convince him back, I need to know why he left. Why he left is synonymous in Kabbalistic terms where the life went back to. In other words, like this. Let's say the reason why he left was the people, maybe the, if the reason why he left was because people weren't acting nice to him in class, people were on their cell phones. So that means that it's an emotional issue. So the delegation has to go and convince him from an emotional place. We really love your class. We think you're the best teacher. We're going to be more respectful. Pretty simple. Imagine they understand that he is not offended emotionally. Intellectually, he thinks that we're all stupid dumbbells. We don't understand a word that he's saying. And he's feeling that he's wasting his time. Then the delegation will have a bit of a bigger problem. Kabbalistically, this is going to be called what? Kabbalistically, this is called that the Malchus went back to intellect. It went up, not to emotions. It went back all the way to the intellect. Now we have to convince him that we do understand and we promise to, re uh, to rehearse, not rehearse, like to, to learn his class a few times and then we promise to write papers on it and we're going to publish those papers in order to make sure that you're not wasting your time and we understand and we, and we really devote it to your teachings. But how about if the students understand that the reason why Hashem has left, why the teacher has left, is not because just because of emotions or intellect. He's doubting if he even wants to be a teacher. He would, be, he would prefer to be a professor that just does research. He doesn't know if he wants to teach. He's not, a te he's not even sure that he is a teacher. And we need to convince him that he is a teacher. And that's worthwhile for him to be a teacher. The same thing happens every year in Rosh Hashanah. God says, I don't know if I want to have a world. How is this similar to the first year? The first year, there was no one to coronate God. And therefore, God by himself gave the year a packet of energy for a year. But since then, it's a commemoration of the first day. Since then, God says, I want you to convince me to be a king. But it's not enough. Just you should tell me, okay, we're going to be nice to you. Okay, we're going to understand you. I want you to know that the desire of God to be king went back to the, its original source, to the essential hiddenness of, of God's kingdom. What does that mean? Of God's essence. It means that, so to say, God says, I want you to convince me all the way from the beginning that I am a king and that you want me as a king. And I don't want just an emotional thing. I don't want an intellectual thing. I want you to connect to my essence. The only way to connect to my essence is by connecting with your essence. That's why we cry out with a shofar, as we're going to see a bit later in the Mimer. But that's why Rosh Hashanah is such a deep day. Do I really want him to be a king? 
Could I really convince him with my desire to come back? Now, so is this ultimate teshuva? Oh, that's what I want. Oh, how is that connected to teshuva? You're asking how it's connected to teshuva? Or I was saying, isn't that the ultimate meaning of teshuva? Exactly. Exactly. Because just to explain what Jeremy just said, imagine the delegation is going to the, is going to the, to the teacher. Do you think that they're going to, they're going to send to the delegation all the students that were, uh, that were, that were throwing spitballs the whole year? If I threw spitballs the whole year on the teacher, how am I going to convince the teacher that I want him back? So there's an essence of tshuva over there. But even though I want to say Rosh Hashanah is not really the day of tshuva. Rosh Hashanah is a day of coronation of the king. We prepare before we ask slichas and everything. But you can also think about it in a romantic, um, uh, in a romantic uh, um, sense. A person comes home and his wife is, a, he doesn't see his wife. He goes, looks around in the house and he sees the door is locked. She's in the room locked up. And he wants to convince her out of there. In order to convince her out of there, she should want to continue like uh, being, being together. Depends why she went in over there. If it's an emotional, small emotional thing, okay? But if she, if she doesn't even know if she wants to even be a wife, she doesn't know if she even wants to be married, she doesn't know, then, then you have to connect to her essence. And the way to connect to her essence is by, your, by, by revealing your essence. The only question that we really have, and I'm waiting, I was waiting for someone to ask it, because this is really what we're going to discuss, if the Malchus goes up on Rosh Hashanah, what is the first question we were meant to ask, guys? I'm waiting. This is not rhetorical. How do we bring it back? Huh? How do we bring it back? How do we bring it back? We spoke about it. We, we were going to talk about it more towards the end of the series, but the way to bring it back is with, with our prayers and with a chauffeur. We're going to convince God that it's worthwhile for him to be a king and, and we're going, and, and, uh, and uh, it's worthwhile for him, the investment in, being, in, in bringing down the Malchus back to this world. Isn't it too little? Uh, Isn't it too little for such a huge uh, I didn't hear, concept. I didn't hear what you were saying. Like, I mean, isn't it too little for such a huge concept? Like, just a few prayers at the end of the year and so far, and that's it, he's convinced. No, no, that's not that's not uh, uh, small at all. I don't think it's small. But what's really the question? If the world lives on Malchus and the Malchus goes back, how does the world live on Rosh Hashanah? How does the world exist on Rosh Hashanah? We have to be self-Malchusing. No, there's no self-Malchusing. The world doesn't exist without God giving life to the world every second. So if we say that the energy of the world goes back, so even though we termed such a beautiful coin over here in this class, this the vacuum in between, but how could how does the world exist during that vacuum? This question is going to lead us to a fascinating discussion next week. How does the world exist on Rosh Hashanah? 
Once we understand that, we'll understand what we need to do in order to draw down that light. Now, Avi asked where in the Parsha, which Parsha is the reference found in Deuteronomy? It's found in Deuteronomy 11, verse 12. So I don't remember now exactly which Parsha it is. But if you look up Deuteronomy 11, verse 12, you should find that. Guys, have a beautiful day and a great Shabbos. Next week, we're going to delve in. We're, we're just, this is just a buildup to what we're going to do next week. It's going to blow your mind. How does the world live on Rosh Hashanah? Thank Maybe you. Maybe we go up as well. Huh? Maybe we go, go up as well. Ooh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> You're pretty close. We'll see. We'll see. Have Thank you for an incredible week. week and an amazing Shabbos. Amazing Shabbos to everyone. Thank you, Rabbi. Good Shabbos. Good Shabbos. Good Shabbos.